I will often save things that I think I will use now or later. But what I really like to do is to get rid of things. I like to throw away things and I like the feeling of what it feels like to me of getting rid of stuff. So I will throw away things that are broken that can't be fixed. I love throwing away empty cereal boxes and crumbling and folding them up and putting them in the recycle bin, throwing away old papers. I also throw away dirty things like you do. With little kids, we're just coming out of the diaper stage not long ago. Sometimes things get dirty that you either can't clean or won't touch in order to clean. So many an airport trash can has received the poopy pants of my kids along our travels. We often discard soiled things. At times, we'll even throw away soiled people. We do that as a culture. We may very well know where the homeless population is, where the prisons are, where people go for rehab, but how many people around you that you know, how many of them know a person who is homeless, a person who is an ex-con, or a former or current addict? Sometimes our relationships with others sour due to hurt feelings or hurtful words, and we leave those friendships behind in the dumpster of the past. One reason we distance ourselves from people and in our lives is because, whether we like to admit it or not, there's something we find dirty about them. Might be different for each of us what that thing is. Could be their appearance. Could be their actions. Could be their politics. Could be their poverty. Could be that what they did to us or who they are, we just can't tolerate. Jesus upset many people because he hung out with dirty people. Look at Luke chapter 7 verse 34. The son of man has come eating and drinking and you say, look at him. A glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus knew people would be offended by him precisely because he was a friend of sinners. And our passage this morning shows us why Jesus chose to do that. Jesus came to sinners to forgive them and to save them from their sins. There are two things that I aim to persuade you of this morning. It will be my outline for the rest of my, my talk here. First, to persuade you from this passage that Jesus loves to forgive. And second, the forgiven love Jesus. Let's start there with that first, first observation of our text. Jesus loves to forgive. Read, as, read with me as I read Verse 36 through 38, and then we'll skip down to near the end of the passage. Luke 7, 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. 
And standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the, anoint, with the ointment. Now look down at verse 48. And Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? So this Simon, Pharisee, invites Jesus to have a meal with him. Now, likely the meal would have been in an open part of the house, maybe a courtyard. Probably the ability to do this indicates that Simon was likely a wealthy man. And that culture had more of an open door policy. So people were welcome to come and stand around observing and listening in on the conversation that's happening at the table. And the people eating are reclining. They're kind of lounged at the table, feet pointed behind them because the feet were dirty. At some point in this meal, a woman walks in. Luke gives us scant details about her. She's a woman. She has a public reputation as morally dirty, a sinner. Luke calls her that. Simon, her host, labels her that way in verse 39. Even Jesus says she has sin. From the way she's described, this woman was likely a prostitute. But I think Luke is being very careful not to give us that detail. But to keep her identity somewhat ambiguous, maybe it's so we as a reader don't put her in a category different from us. And therefore, what's going on here? we would be led to believe it wouldn't apply to us. This woman enters and deliberately takes her place behind Jesus, over Jesus' feet. And as conversation continues around the table, the woman begins to weep. The tears fall down her cheeks. They land on Jesus' feet. So she bends over, takes her hair, and begins to wipe away the tears with her hair, effectively washing Jesus' feet. She had also come with a gift for Jesus, an expensive bottle of perfume, perhaps earned through her work, and pours it on Jesus' feet. There's so many cultural differences going on in this scene between them and us, between then and now, that it may be hard for us to envision this happening. But there are two things at least about this scene scene that I think will ring true with us. One is that we all have a category of people who are sinners. We do. Now, that may not be the word we use, but when we see them or when we think about them, we think there is something about them that is wrong, dirty, Despicable, maybe? It's good for us to be honest about that, about ourselves. That could be for you, a drug addict that you see, or a Democrat. It could be a Republican. Or a rich person. It could be someone who did something to you, or someone you love, that forever marked them in your mind as lesser. 
if we're willing to be honest with ourselves and recognize that in our hearts we have these categories and own them, then we will be in a good position to benefit most from what we're seeing happen here. Another thing I think that rings true with us about this scene, though culturally different, is how Simon reacts to what this woman is doing. Look at verse 39 again. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Simon would have never let this woman touch him. In his mind, the best thing a person can do with a sinner is get as far away from them as possible. And this was a fundamental part of his pharisaical religion. Keep away from the morally dirty and you stay morally clean. So while Simon has a very clear category to put this woman into, he has no category for Jesus being a person who can supposedly see spiritual things if Jesus is going to allow such a woman to touch him. Jesus knew exactly who this woman was. Imagine the scene again. The woman enters, takes her place. Maybe Jesus doesn't even look up. As the tears fall, maybe Jesus never takes his eyes off of Simon. As the hair touches his feet and he hears the quiet sobs of the woman, Jesus doesn't flinch. He stays and he allows her to continue and allows the awkward tension in the room and in Simon's heart to build as if to say, I'm totally okay with this. Are you? The irony of Simon's secret thought that Jesus couldn't be a prophet is that Jesus right here proves he is a prophet. He reads, Simon, he reads Simon's mind and he also truly sees the woman. There is a part of this story that we might skip over, but we must not. Why is this woman here after all? Why is she weeping and pouring out perhaps her most precious earthly gift on Jesus? Well, perhaps she had already interacted with Jesus in the city. We don't know. Maybe she had come to him and he had addressed her not as a prostitute, but as a person. Maybe he had identified for her that while he saw her public shame, he had invited her to give that to him. We don't know, but here she is. And she believes in Jesus. Jesus says to her in verse 50, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So this woman is here weeping and worshiping because she knows who Jesus is. And Jesus has perhaps already done something for her. He is a prophet who sees her condition and he is a savior who can take away her shame and sin. She likely walked into the room that day acknowledging all the potential shame and embarrassment that might come from every other person there in order that she might find and thank her Savior Jesus. Her faith is a response to the forgiveness she has already received. 
And Jesus openly owns that she is putting her trust in the right place. He doesn't correct the woman. He validates her tears and her service to him. And then while everyone else is listening, he tells her what her tears express. She is already experiencing as the tears flow. He has forgiven her sins. Look at the reaction from the people in verse 49. Who is this that even forgives sins? These people understand what forgiveness is. They understand what sin is. And that's why they wonder how any person could claim to forgive sins. Sin is anything we do, big or small, that is not perfect. And the standard of perfection is God. God made us to reflect who he is in our actions, in our words, in our minds, in our hearts, in our motives, in all that we do. And when we do that, we live life as God meant it. But none of us do that. Instead, we've all gone the opposite way. We've done what is not like God, which is what makes it wrong. And we do that because we don't want God to tell us the way to live. We want to make our own way. And that's what makes sin evil. And since only God's way leads to life, then our sin leads to death. Death, because God is perfectly just and brings judgment on evil. The people in that room that day knew that sin was something against God and only God could declare a person forgiven. They also not only understood what sin is, they understood what forgiveness is. When a person sins, a debt is created. You and every one of us owe repayment to God for our injustice. And that debt remains outstanding until either you or I can pay it or God decides he's going to absorb the debt at cost to himself. Now we know that there is no righteousness in us and we know that we cannot get back to perfect. So us repaying the debt on our part is therefore impossible. If there is any hope of any person being forgiven by God, the choice lies completely in God's hands. The people knew that sin is against God. The people knew that only God can forgive sin. And that is why they are perplexed about Jesus. Because in pronouncing the woman forgiven, Jesus is saying, I am God. And I am choosing to absorb the debt of this woman's sin. And in order for Jesus to say this and be true, he would have to be God. And he would have to pay for the sins he forgives. The woman came to Jesus believing that he could do what he said and her faith was not misplaced. And if your trust is in the Savior who forgives sins to take away all your injustice and the penalty you deserve to pay to God, the debt you owed that you could not give back to meet up to, then I can tell you here confidently that today your faith is not misplaced. In just a short time, Jesus would make the payment to cover the debt he forgives. 
He would go to a cross and give his life to pay for our sins against God. There he suffered under the perfect justice of God. And he did it so that we who believe in him would not have to. And he did it all with the same unflinching love as when he lounged there that day and welcomed the woman's tears and hair, though everyone considered it dirty, on his feet. Jesus loves to forgive. I think this is my favorite story from Jesus' earthly ministry. It's part of the reason why I wanted to share it with you. And here's why. Because I so see myself in this woman. I see my past. I see my shame. I see the scandal of my disobedience against Jesus. I feel the embarrassment of how I could have ever turned my back against him and lived my own way. I see the folly of my choices. I see the death that awaited me if Christ had not intersected my life. And I feel greatly the relief and thanks that Jesus did not let me die. He instead loved to forgive me. Even while I'm sure at the time, many other people's perception of me was that I was far too gone. I was gone too far. And I, like many of you, have experienced the heart of this Savior. Just like this woman did. Friend, if you come to him fully aware of your sins, Jesus will not turn you away. He knows that when you come to him and you trust in him and him alone to take away your sin... You have come to the only person who can truly help you. And he will be that person. If Jesus loves to forgive, then why wait any longer to come and find his forgiveness? Not just the one that I'm talking to today that is here and has never come. But to you as a Christian, if you're stuck in patterns of sin, come and find forgiveness. If you're proud... If you're enslaved in guilt, Jesus loves to forgive. Go to him. Do what the woman does. She is humble. She knows who she is. She knows what she has done. She knows better than any judgmental eye in that room. She comes and she comes to Jesus because she believes that he can help her. He can heal her. And that is all faith is. A humble trust that Jesus is the answer to what is wrong with us and the world we live in. His perfect life, his sacrificial death, and his victorious resurrection is the solution for our sin. So to believe that, to claim that, to rest in that, that is faith. If Jesus loves to forgive, then in our churches... Let's model our lives after him. May the Holy Spirit put the heart of Jesus for us in our hearts for other people. Here's where Christ's action convicts us. Because we know we've got Simon's view of others in our hearts. There are people we avoid. There are people we look down on. There are people we despise. There are people we belittle, we make fun of. There are people we will not forgive. 
And when we do that, we claim they owe us something, something they cannot pay. We put ourselves in God's place, and unlike God, we withhold grace. May God forgive us for our pride and self-righteousness. And he will. If people sin, they sin against God, just like we have so many times. If people owe someone, they owe God, just like we owe God. If people are going to have any chance of having their debt cleared, it is not going to be our decision to forgive them, but it is going to be the decision of a merciful God. Guess what? When we see and encounter a sinner, we're seeing someone who is more like us than not. When Jesus working on, with Jesus working in us and when he works in us, we will know it because our churches will be places where sinners find friends. Your life will move toward people who are in desperate need of saving. So let's make friends for that reason. To bring sinners to the knowledge of a savior for sinners, Jesus. When you look at others, whether publicly immoral or not, remember... They, like us, are the kinds of people Jesus loves to forgive. The second main thing I want to persuade you that is here in the passage for us to see is that the forgiven love Jesus. The forgiven love Jesus. Look at verse 39. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet... He would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. By the way, denarius was the amount a laborer would make in a day. So the lesser debt is about two months' work, while the larger debt is closer to two years of work. Again, a lot of cultural things going on here. There was a customary way to greet a, a guest, maybe some oil for them because body odor was a real thing then as it is now. Uh, maybe a kiss to show friendship. Simon had not done even the customary things. The woman had exceeded them all, gone far beyond them. Now, I don't know if Simon realized in the moment that Jesus had just read his mind. Maybe happening too fast, he didn't catch on, but... But Jesus does and tells Simon this parable. And the parable follows the story of a lender and the choice to forgive. Did you notice the things 
that Jesus chooses to emphasize for Simon? Now, clearly the money lender stands for God, for whom, to whom everyone owes a debt, but Jesus doesn't spend time there, does he? Nor does Jesus explain how God will cancel the debts we owe through Christ, although that is key. Jesus instead wants Simon and us to answer this question for ourselves. How do you know that Jesus has forgiven you? And Jesus' effective answer to Simon is this. You know when your gratitude for his forgiveness shows in your love for him. How do you know you're forgiven by Jesus? Well, you will know from the evidence of your gratitude for his forgiveness that shows in your love for him. Simon put himself in a category completely different from that woman. He thinks that it is totally appropriate that Jesus should be close to him and share a meal with him. He must think that God had already forgiven him or that his sins are not great enough to come between him and Jesus. Simon assumes he is forgiven, but Jesus challenges his assumption. The proof of forgiveness in a person is love for the one who forgives. And Simon does not love Jesus. Sure, he invited him for a meal, but he did nothing to show gratitude to Jesus for coming to his house, even like a kiss on the cheek. Simon didn't welcome the opportunity to serve Jesus by washing his feet. And Simon didn't bless his guest with oil as a perfume for his head, let alone offer his very best to Jesus like the woman did with her perfume. If Simon's actions are an indication of his heart, and Jesus says they are, Simon doesn't love Jesus. And if our love is a measure of how much we've been forgiven, then in Simon we see a man who doesn't think he needs much forgiveness. We love Jesus as much as we feel we need him. Little love means we have little need. Great love means we feel a great need of him. Do our lives show evident love for Jesus like this woman? What in this woman's humility or gift or worship can you say exists in your heart toward Jesus? Now, if you see similarities, be encouraged. If you're accepting public shame for his sake, it's because you know all that he has done for you and you don't care what others will do. If you're willing to give what you count most valuable for his worship and his glory, then you are demonstrating in that act that you understand he gave what was most valuable to him for your salvation. He gave his life. But if you're struggling to see the similarities and maybe they're not there, we need to give some time to honestly deal with our lack of love for Jesus. If I'm not grateful to God for Jesus in a way that dominates my thoughts 
and drowns out my complaints about other lesser things, then I've forgotten what I've been forgiven. If you are stingy with your resources, you do not understand that Jesus gave everything in generous grace to you. If we won't forgive another person, it is because we do not love Jesus for forgiving us. In light of eternity, it would be better for us to admit we've stopped loving Jesus, or maybe you never did, than to keep saying we do when we don't. Better to confess there's too much Simon in our hearts than to go on being like Simon. You and I need Jesus just as much as the worst sinner there ever was. And when we see that reality about ourselves, we may quickly come to find we might be the worst sinner there ever was. To help us think more about if we're making this connection between forgiveness and love, I'd like to give you two evaluative statements for you to think about this week. You might write these down. Evaluative statements, meaning think on them, compare them to your heart posture, compare them to your actions, compare them to your love. First one, my love for Jesus is a measure of how much I think I need forgiveness from Jesus. My love for Jesus is a measure. It's an indication of how much I think I need forgiveness from Jesus. That's the first one. And the second one is this. My love for others is a measure of how much I think I need forgiveness from Jesus. My love for others is an indication of how much I think I need forgiveness from Jesus. I hope those will be helpful. Maybe even something good to talk about with friends or roommates, spouses at lunch today. If you have lost sight of Christ's forgiveness and you are concerned, even as we talk about diminishing loves, you're concerned that your diminished love for Jesus is showing, I would like to encourage you. I would like to spend the last couple moments I have with you reminding us of all the reasons we have to be grateful for Jesus. I want to exalt Christ. I want you walking out of here with his words ringing in our minds and hearts. So I'm going to use the words of Jesus, and I hope this revives or even begins your grateful love for him. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. This is what this woman was so desperate to hear. So load up all the burden of all that you've ever done that is wrong, selfish, unkind, impatient, angry, untrue. And understand in Jesus's words that he accepts all your debts and places them on himself at the cross. You may be struggling to believe that forgiveness from God can even happen, but Jesus says to you, you can trust him to forgive every last sin that you carry. Your sins will be forgiven and Jesus will do it. Jesus says in the presence of everyone, your faith has saved you. 
This woman is healed. She is rescued. She is saved. She is not lost. She is not to be known any longer to God as the sinner. She is the saved daughter. Jesus pronounces this over every one of his children, no matter your past, no matter your present. If your shame or your ruined witness in front of your family or your friends is what is keeping you from welcoming Jesus' forgiveness, then see that he saves any who are desperate for his healing. Your heart will be healed and Jesus will do it. Jesus says, go in peace. Jesus' forgiveness fully restores us. We don't need to worry any longer about the judgment of others. We are free from feeling shame over the sideways looks we get or the gossip people spread. Jesus makes peace between us and himself. And because we have peace, we have life with God. Your life is restored in Jesus' forgiveness and Jesus has done it. Forgiveness, healing, restoration. These are all the reasons to love Jesus and to love him more. This story closes without us seeing what happens with Simon. Did he heed Jesus's story and lesson? Did he see that he was a sinner with a massive debt in need of a savior? We don't know. And the woman, did the community welcome her as Jesus had? Did they treat her as new and whole and healed? Did they help her along in her faith? We don't know. What will be your response? Will you trust Christ for forgiveness? And gratefully love and serve him because he saves you? What will be our response as a church, as those a part of many different local church? What will be our church's response? Will we as God's people welcome the sinner and extend forgiveness to each and every one? Will we involve ourselves in the lives of those who are spiritually needy in order to bring them to the Jesus they need most? Well, that will all depend on if Christ has forgiven us and if we love Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, as we began, so we end in praise of your glorious grace. We thank you for a forgiveness that covers the debt we owe fully, cancels the guilt and the shame. Jesus, we exalt you as the son of God who truly loves to forgive sinners. May anyone needing that from you find it today. Lead them to yourself. May your word that's been opened help them to see clearly your heart, your character, and your promise that all who come to you will not be turned away. And Father, we pray that as you have worked on our hearts, as we asked you to do, by seeing Simon and being uncomfortable with the similarities that are exposed in us, Lord, help us not to do what Simon did, 
let us be ready to let go of self-righteousness. Let go of pride. Let go of hate. Let go of vindictiveness and bitterness and grudges. Let go of anything that is going on in our hearts that would cause us to see ourselves as more holy than anyone else, as better and others as lesser. Would you please do this? Not for just our moral purity, Lord, but so that we might see Christ more clearly. That in humility, we might be in a position to receive your grace that you freely offer. Please lead us in this. Lead us for our good. Lead us for the good of others who you aim to love through us. And use it all for the glory of your name. We pray in Jesus Christ. Amen.